40 years ago, Fangoria magazine was first unleashed into the world. The physical magazine has already been resurrected, and now it's time to bring Fangoria.com back to life. The new Fangoria.com is now your destination for all of the content that couldn't fit into the physical magazine, including long-form pieces, deep dives, and daily thoughts from the biggest names in horror, special access to the Fangoria vault, as well as a constant curation of our favorite stories from across the internet. New readers can choose between the Fangoria Plus membership, which includes four issues of our magazine, full digital access to Fangoria.com, invitations to special events and screenings, and much more. Or you can choose an online-only subscription, which includes one year of full digital access to Fangoria.com. Go to Fangoria.com and become a member today. Use promo code POSTMORTEM for 15% off right now. That's promo code POSTMORTEM at Fangoria.com. I'm Mick Garris, and this is the Fun Size Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything. And asking your questions of me is producer Joe Russo. Hello, Joe, and happy Halloween. Hello, Mick. Happy Halloween, or one, one day before. Uh, so yesterday, some, some fun news hit the interwebs. Uh, that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I would love to let people know that our movie, Nightmare Cinema, is now playing on Shudder. So if you haven't subscribed, you better do it. And if you have, now is your chance to catch up with the rest of the world and see Nightmare Cinema. And you still got 48 hours before Halloween's over to watch it. So perfect Halloween treat. Never a better Halloween movie that doesn't have to Halloween in the title. <laughs> so. I, I, I agree. Uh, well, let's get into the questions, shall we? Let's do I, it. I made sure they were all, most of them, a little bit uh, spooky and Halloween related. Okay. So, Any candy corn to go along with it? Uh, yeah. would, would you like to? It can be yeah. sugary and sweet. Uh, okay. All right. Vincent DeVicente asks, what was your go-to Halloween treat when you were younger and what is it as an adult now? Do you have any sugary snacks that you like for Halloween? You know, um, when I was a kid, it was a very generous time to trick or treat. Uh, I would come home literally bags of candy. I didn't choose anything. You know, some people, the old ladies that would give you an apple, it was like <laughs> we would sneer at that, of course. Sure. But, um, you know, Butterfingers were favorites of mine back then. You know, that crunch and the mm -hmm. chocolate combined. That was mighty fine. They get hard on the teeth as you get older. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe <laughs> so. But I don't really indulge that much uh, in, in candies and the like these days, despite the box of Skittles we passed around here earlier. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, it, it, I don't really have a, a sweet treat that is my default on Halloween in particular. But if someone was going to give you something, it would be a Butterfinger. So we know that now. <laughs> well, that might work. I think maybe I'd go for dark chocolate instead. A little more sophisticated taste. Yes, yes. Yeah. A more refined palate. <laughs> exactly. uh, so All Hallows Steve wants to know <laughs> if you have any Halloween traditions that you do every year. Um, for the last few years, actually, um, Cynthia and I have gone to our friend Bill Malone's house, uh, the director of um, Fear.com and House on Haunted Hill and so many other really great works. And friend of the podcast who's been on the show before. Exactly. 
And uh, so we usually go over there, and he has a home cinema that is amazing, and we'll always watch with a handful of friends uh, a a different horror movie every year and give out candy to the kids who come to his neighborhood. And it's it's the kind of neighborhood where people bust their kids in from ah, less advantaged right, areas. Right, yeah. Oh, so good. So there's a good steady stream of trick-or-treaters. Lots of kids. It's a lot of fun to see kid costumes and the like. And uh, most of the people who come over are filmmakers, uh, you know, and and share the movie in his in his luxurious theater seating. And all. Have you guys discussed what the the movie du jour will will be this year? It's usually a surprise. Oh, oh. So yeah. Bill picks it. Yeah, Bill or his wife Cece will pick it. Cool. So uh, yeah. Well, we, we'll have to follow up and find out what that was. Yeah, and I'm glad to be in town <laughs> this time. I'm not always in town. That's for true. Last year you were you were out, you were traveling. I was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you just got back into town. So. Uh, <laughs> I hope uh, so. Yes. <laughs> We're a little bit ahead of the date in our recording. So but that's with okay. Any We're luck, in the Halloween <laughs> spirit anyway. Yeah. With any uh, luck, I've been in Brazil and Mexico. And you'll be back and it'll yeah. be great. Uh, <laughs> Nick Tate Drum asks, do you have a favorite Halloween movie to watch and why? I don't. I really would rather see something new every time around, or at least an old favorite that I haven't watched in a long time. But what's one of those old favorites? Like, is there is there is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein? Well, is yeah, it, is Abbott it? and Costello meet Frankenstein might be the movie I've seen more than any other. And uh, there's a reason I asked about that. But one. it's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen it. And it, I, I'm, I'm ready for another viewing, but something like that, the Universal Horror Classics or, you know, something from the 70s that I haven't seen in a while that, that's got some teeth to it. Mm. Um, you know, uh, just last night we watched Shivers, the, the oh, David sure. Cronenberg film. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's always fun to revisit something or something completely new. Yeah. You know? Yep. Well, we'll find out what that completely new title is uh, next time. Uh, so Richard Humphreys asks, what was your least favorite Halloween costume as a little kid? And did your parents ever force you to go as something you didn't want to? Um, never forced to go as something I didn't want to. Once when I was really young, I did the typical ghost sheet thing. And I cut out the eyes myself, and I was way too young to be doing it. The <laughs> eyes were almost, the eye holes were almost big enough for my head to fit through. <laughs> so it kind of destroyed the illusion a little bit. So that was the least successful. If you want to go for the best. Yeah, what's your favorite Halloween well, cast? Well, you know, Cynthia and I were both zombies in Thriller. And we kept the only extant costumes from thriller oh really michael had asked them all to be destroyed and so we absconded with our costumes <laughs> with permission from the director of course yes yes um, so john john gave his blessing for that yeah. that's good but right. um one year we really did it up in those costumes uh on catalina uh, and oh, wow. went to a costume ball there, yeah. and we won the fifty dollar prize. Did with that. people so, know that you were zombies from the music video? Could only, they tell? Only people we okay, talked okay. to. Okay, okay, but it was just otherwise it was just great no. zombie makeup. Yeah, well, right. we did our own makeup sure. this time yeah. instead of yeah. Rick Baker. But but yeah, they were. It, it it was really great, and we've done that a couple of times. I don't do costumes anymore at Halloween. 
but it's fun to see others doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Does Michael know you took the... Uh... <laughs> Michael never learned. Never found out. Never found out, because he's the one who asked for them all to be destroyed. Well, there you go. Uh, so uh, They are, by the way, on display at Mopop now up in Seattle. Oh, cool. The Museum of Popular Culture. Was that was that something through John and Deborah? Did they take them back, or did you guys donate? No, them? we actually uh, contributed them to to the museum, and I was a consultant on their horror exhibition. It used to be the Science Fiction Museum oh. uh, that uh, Paul Allen opened in Seattle years ago. Uh, it was a pop culture museum, rock and roll museum, and then it became science fiction, and then they did an exhibition exhibition of horror that i was a consultant on as was roger corman and john landis that's very cool that's very cool um well so for our main topic today i wanted to talk about uh your other halloween movie uh, the one that's not hocus pocus the one that's not hocus pocus oh, okay. uh and especially today because we are recording a little bit early today is actually the 15th anniversary of, of the riding, the of riding the bullet yeah uh, so i wanted to talk about riding the bullet uh, yeah. I, I re-watched it in anticipation for this ah, conversation okay. so i'm I've fresh in my mind uh so i have lots of questions um so but first of all so the original short story came out in 2000 as an ebook as an ebook yeah so they called it a book but it was a 30 page short story so did you just read it initially as a fan yeah 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 i i read it you had to buy it right as an ebook and it was the first ever ebook from a famous author. And it's a very simple little uh, short story. Mm -hmm. And it's a ghost story, but it really resonated with me. You know, it was a Sophie's Choice kind of story. Right. I had recently lost my father and a brother. And so, um, as a guy who was a creator of horror content, as a writer and filmmaker in the horror genre, it just made me take death a little more seriously and less flippantly. And so that story hit me in that place and inspired me to do my personal version. Because it was such a short story, there was a lot of room to turn it into something other than that, something more personal in it. And it resonated a lot with me. And so I asked Steve if he would let me take a crack at it. And so that so that's how, so that's how it happened. I was going to say like so when you did you write it on spec then once you got the rights from Stephen? I did. Uh, it was a dollar baby at first. Oh wow! I, I, okay. I may still owe him that dollar. Now, <laughs> when the deal is made, he gets a big paycheck. Yes, he does. But I did write it on spec, and my agents were excited. They thought, oh, an original Stephen King screenplay. Sure. Uh, it was very well received. We're going to make a fortune as a spec sale to the studios. None of the studios wanted it because they wanted either a horror movie or a Stand By Me emotional drama. Right. They, the cross between the two, that hybrid, was an uncomfortable mix that made it too hard to market. Yeah. So we basically came up zeros when, uh, when pitching it around. So, so. how did you, because the, the company that released it is a company that's I don't believe is around to, MPCA. Yeah. yeah Motion yeah. Picture Corporation. So how did you find them? How did that marriage kind of happen? Well, they came to me, Brad Cravoy ran that company. He used to run Orion pictures and he, he produced dumb and dumber and a lot of independent stuff. And he really, really wanted a Stephen King project. And he thought this would be the one. So when I was shooting 
The Shining? No, Desperation. He came to the set and uh, tried to convince me that he would be the guy to produce it. So um, he loved the script, and we made it for a much, much smaller budget than it was ever envisioned to be originally. Um, and 20% of that budget went to the source material author. Mm, sure. <laughs> um, so we made it at a, at a pretty limited budget, but it really was the movie I wanted to make, you know, maybe on a smaller scale, but something very personal. And, and it's about death and it's about, you know, thinking uh, the rending of bodies is so entertaining and amusing and all until you, you see that happen in front of you. And uh, so got a really wonderful cast together to do I was just going to say, how, how did the cast come about? Because there's, there's some really memorable, you know, Barbara Hershey's in it and David Arquette. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jonathan Jackson. I was going to say, how did, how did, like, what did you see in him that was like, that's my Alan? Well, yeah. we were reading a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of them came in wearing wigs. And let me just say here, I hate fucking wigs. <laughs> it's set in 1969. Now, the, the story was written in 1999 and was contemporary. Right. It was a story King wrote, the first thing he wrote after his accident back right. in 99. Which explains maybe how, why the father was hit on the side of the road. So much of yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, some of those were inventions. That's not in the short story, but it was something, my tribute to. Got to, it. To right. That. Right. Um, but um, I knew I wanted somebody who had an artistic sensibility and temperament. And Jonathan is also in a band with his brother, a songwriter, singer, and just his sensitivity really came through and he, that was his hair. Yeah. You know, he had genuine long hair and that sounds superficial and silly, but it was really important to me not to have some guy. And in fact, we make a joke out of it later on when we have the character of the draft dodging guy. Right. He's got a wig on. (laughs) Who's AWOL from the military. Right. His, his wig, it looks like a wig. And then it ends up being a wig. You think, God, that's a shitty wig on that guy. (laughs) Then it's part of the story. And that was kind of a tribute to the casting process of being frustrated by the lack of reality in in the hair thing. And Jonathan, who had a big career in soap operas Mm -hmm. and went back to that after this, just really struck me as having a, a sensibility and sensitivity that that was... I can't imagine a better actor playing that part. And then David Arquette, you know, he had done Scream and he's funny and he's done all these other things. But um, he really, we talked to him about doing this darker role. And it was such a different kind of performance for him that it was really exciting. I was a big fan of Barbara Hershey back in the days of last summer when I was a kid. That was one of the movies, the Frank Perry movie that I'd seen back in the day when I was, you know, a teenager and had loved her work. And Cynthia actually went to high school, the same high school as her. Oh, really? So, yeah. Um, But um, she's somebody who's kind of iconic to a certain era. And as this movie takes place in that era, trying to make a period movie and having an actress who got her beginnings in that era was really, she got it. She understood what we were going for. And even though we didn't have a big budget to convey that period, 
it, the movie was on a small enough scale that we could make it convincing. We shot at the University of British Columbia instead of uh, University of Maine. Right. Um, and, but it, we really made it feel like 1969. I agree. I mean, the cinematography definitely and the color palette makes it feel like a period piece. Yeah. It has, it has that look. You know, you, Shot you actually, on film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but you said, it, you said it yourself with uh, the original story took place in uh, 99, but you chose to set it in 69. What was the kind of thought process behind that? Well, it was really important to me. It it felt to me like the char- the lead character uh, in in the story is making a life and death choice. And he's given the choice by what may be a minion of the devil or Satan himself that I'm picking you up, you're a hitchhiker, I'm going to take you home to see your mom. But by the end of this ride, I'm taking one of you with me. One of you has to die. And it's either going to be you or it's going to be your mom. And you have to choose. And if you don't, I'll take you both. So that's a life or death choice. And that's a very Kingian thing. He Mm -hmm. had never seen Sophie's Choice, but people told him, this is very much a Sophie's Choice. (laughs) But it's a Kingian Sophie's Choice. Sure, sure. So I feel that our society had a life and death choice represented by the end of the 60s. What we think of as the 60s really overlapped into the 70s. But 1969 is a year that, that symbolizes the end of the 60s. And it turned a corner. In, in the 60s, what it's famous for is the maturation of youth, of, of, of protest, of not accepting what our parents' lives were before, of freedom of choice uh, when it comes to to the pill or racial injustice or um, gender injustice, that those choices, they went sour in the 70s. It started to become all about me again and not about the society as a whole. So I think there was a life and death choice that the world set in this microcosm of this community, this college community, um, represented that. And so I thought it was an interesting metaphor. I think I think that's great. Uh, the amusement park. Yes. I assume it was a standing amusement park. <clears throat> yes. It's called PNE uh, in Vancouver where we shot. That's pretty cool. And, and uh, that wasn't a fun thing to go scout and find. And... It was great. Now, Barbara Hershey had never ridden in a uh, uh, roller coaster before. Really? And so she was terrified about it. And I said, you know... I, I would love you to do it, but if you can't do it, I understand. And she was very much a trooper and said, I think I can do it. I'll do it. And <laughs> at the end of the first shot in the dailies, you see her shaking as she's getting out of the roller coaster and saying, Mick, can I talk to you for a minute? <laughs> so she was petrified. And so when we did multiple takes, I was she screamed. You probably had to do a lot yeah, of takes. We did right? a lot. Yeah. And She's got her hands covering her face, and that because that's a double. <laughs> sure. Oh, that's so funny. It's a double because she couldn't do it again. She could not do it again. But she had the one. But we had the one take with two cameras, that's what she needed. and and we got what we needed from her. That's that's pretty awesome. But one of the things uh, when we were prepping the movie was that Brad Cravoy, the producer, had a deal. He'd made a movie in South Africa and was convinced, we'll do it in South Africa. It's cheaper than anywhere. Huh. 1969 Maine in South Africa, Doesn't no feel right. way. Yeah. Plus, a lot of other reasons not to do it, but one of the main ones that I used was there are no 
roller coasters in South Africa. Wow, is that true? <laughs> well, at that time, there were certainly no period roller coasters. Sure, sure. That, Not that, that you know, wooden the old coaster. wooden yeah. roller coasters. Mm-hmm. So that kind of saved my life. But um, I just, I knew, <laughs> you know, at that time, there were very few good foreign films, meaning outside of South African movies that were made in South Africa. Right. They were mostly made there because it was so cheap to do it. Well, now it's now it's quite a quite a place to shoot. Oh, and, very much yeah, so. Yeah. But at that time in 2004, right. it was a different world. Yeah. Yeah. One one thing that I thought was really fun was there's not just a cameo by you, but there's yeah. also a cameo by Cynthia. There uh, is. You're both you're yes. both in the movie. Yeah. Which is really fun. <laughs> yeah. Um and you're both really good. And <laughs> well, maybe, one of us one is. of us, one of you is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh no, that was really fun to see, but it was it was it was interesting to me like looking at this movie and looking at Dead. There were some ah. interesting parallels between the two. Um, the, the, the living dead, uh, kind of gets referenced in both movies, Mm -hmm. but they both have the hospital things, Mm -hmm. uh, use the gag of, uh, a transition with someone dropping something. (laughs) It was just, it's interesting to see the similarities between the two. I don't even know if you probably even thought about, well, even, uh, well, they are very much in the same kind of sub genre of emo horror, ghost story horror, um, that, you know, writing the bullet affected me a lot because, mm-hmm. you know, it. the first thing I did, a, a, a TV movie for Disney called Fuzzbucket, is about Which we'll a talk about family. soon. We'll do that at another time. <laughs> now that I see it popping up again now online, it's, it's oh, shit. Um, I've got to hide in a cave. Uh, but there is an emotional reunion between child who has been missing for a while and his parents. And it's not very emotional. There's no... Um, there's no physical contact between them and the like. And in writing the bullet, it was at a very vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable time of my life when I was experiencing loss of people who were close to me. And I felt things harder than I had before. And I wanted it to be meaningful in an emotional way, as well as be an entertaining and scary movie, but, but have some roots of depth in it. And so that definitely inspired me in a lot of the work I've done since, whether it's in the books or in movies or TV shows. You know, the the scene in uh, Once Upon a Time that I did where, where um, Beast loses his beauty is an incredibly, maybe the most emotional scene I've ever directed, and tears and snot and all kinds of things like that. But, you know, if you can get in deep like that, the fears become more real and become more shared and more universal. And so it definitely had an effect on on the work I've done since. And Dead originally popped up. It was going to be my uh, third season of Hor- Masters of Horror episode. Right. Yep. And it ended up not going for a third season. And then I turned it into a feature script. And then when we did Nightmare Cinema, I crunched it down to, to be what it is today. Question about... Halloween in the movie, yeah. uh, was that that was not in the original short story? No, it's not. Yes. So what 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 was the conscious decision about setting it at Halloween? I wanted there to be an artificial horror setting to it, as well as a genuine one. But I wanted to see iconography. You know, the the idea of anonymous people in masks going by in a story about life and death and disconnection mm-hmm. and connection. And so the idea of 
of seeing the occasional pumpkin or trick-or-treaters or, or being, being out on a lonely road uh, on Halloween night. It just made it iconic. And my producer said, oh, wait, this will be an evergreen if we do Halloween. Oh, that's and funny. It, that was <laughs> his idea, not mine. But, um, but I just, I love Halloween. And we were shooting in November and December in Vancouver. And I wanted that chill that that adds to the atmosphere you know there's always a drizzle in those months in in mm-hmm, vancouver mm-hmm. and it was challenging to shoot that weather but it also made it look really great and gave it a chill that i hope goes not just externally but internally as well, well. i think too with a movie that deals with you know the bond between life and death and you know literally getting pitched up picked up by a hitchhiking ghost the, yeah. to do it on all hallows eve makes a lot of sense yeah uh, it just this... seemed the right time and the right place and and there's you know that that fall and winter in british columbia is really atmospheric and beautiful we didn't choose it because of that we had to shoot when we had to shoot but it worked out really great in that regard now i know the movie didn't get uh, a wide release like no it did yeah. not and mm-hmm. and there was some weird logic behind that with the yeah. company and such yeah. with they were like oh it's an ebook so people will yeah or something. so we'll just yeah. promote it on the internet uh, they didn't when... buy a single ad wow and yet they opened it in three cities in la and phoenix and i forget where else Lots of theaters in those three cities, but nowhere else in the country or the right, world. Right. And so nobody knew what it was. No advertising was taken out. And I, I went to the opening night to uh, several of the theaters before I got too depressed and, <laughs> and quit. Because people would literally not know what movie they were seeing at a multiplex and look right. what they were going to see and not even know what Riding the Bullet because was. it didn't say Stephen It didn't Kings. have that. Yeah. It, it's in the title, sure. but not on the marquee. Right, yeah. right. But here we are 15 years later, and every time we see it on social media posted, there's... Lots of fans. I mean, the, the, over the years, has your has that? I mean, it is your. You've said many times it's one of your most personal films. Definitely, yeah. That I mean, to have the audience be able to continue to find it and continue to have it speak to them. I mean, how does that make you feel? Well, it's pretty great because I just today I got a couple like this. I I get emails or I get posts online of people who say, you know, I I lost my mom five years ago and I saw this movie and it really resonated with me. You know, if you can connect to a people on on that level, then you've really done your job. You've gone beyond entertaining, but giving them something that they can embrace and take into their hearts. Not every movie should do that, but this was one that's where it came from in my heart. And if if other people take it into theirs in that regard, then there's nothing more gratifying than that. Well, I think when people are done watching Nightmare Cinema on Shutter, they should give Riding the Bullet a That's spin. right. That's right. You've seen Hocus Pocus enough by now. So watch, watch the other Halloween movie. The other Halloween movie. Great. Mick, happy Halloween. And to you, Joe. Thank you. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 
If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes. <laughs>